0: Amen. Man, it's been uh, overwhelming, you know, coming back and and seeing all of you, and and it's been emotional. And uh, so, you know, uh, Cambry asked me earlier, uh, is it weird coming back here? And I was like, no, it kind of just feels like I showed up to work this morning, you know? I I worked here for so long. And then uh, you guys have just been absolutely friendly and amazing and and, uh, welcoming, you know, Morgan and I back and Ella and Children's Ministry. So thank you guys. And uh, I just want to say, I, we miss you, you know, um, and, and we do think about you guys, we do pray for SCC often and, and regularly, and uh, you know, it's just just such a blessing to be sent by a church that loves us so well, and uh, really an honor to be here with you this morning, yeah? So um, I want to start today with a confession from the uh, leadership of All Nations Church, right? So it's good to start church with a confession, right? I think, that's all right. Uh, So we got together this year and we're like, okay, it's our first Advent season. It's our first Christmas. We kind of get to just do whatever we want to do because we're such a young church. There's not like traditions and expectations and all this. We're like, well, what do we want to do? Let's get together and talk about this. And uh, there was only one really good consensus. I wouldn't call it good, but it was clear. Um, And that's that we don't really like Christmas time." very much as a, as a can we confess that is that i know like i i'm afraid y'all are going to throw some things at me here cuz like christmas is like this. so my family they love christmas right morgan and ella absolutely love christmas love advent like halloween rolls around and they do the trick or treating thing and then like on the drive home from trick or treating christmas music and then it's like all i get to listen to for the next 2 months right but but the challenge for me is just working in church and doing ministry Right Christmas is almost like this thing that we have to like get through so that we can start changing lives again, because like no one got in in like into ministry it was like, well, I want to like perform something and I want to like do these traditional things that that people can kind of just watch like it's a show you know, and I, I know that's why none of you are here today, but but there's that reality, that pressure that we feel right that we have to somehow perform we have to this is the time of the year that we got to be on our a game and, and it loses the magic of it a little bit so. So we got together, we said, well, what are we going to do? And, and there was the suggestion of, let's just pretend it doesn't exist and just keep doing everything normal, and I was like, well, that's kind of weird, you know? December, you know, 24th rolls around, and we're like, hey, average day, right? Average Sunday, <clears throat> you got to talk about it, so what are we going to do? And, and here's what we realized. The Christmas story is scripture. Right? It just kind of like, oh, wow, just kind of slapped us in the face, like, well, it's, it's scripture, and scripture... Has a very good purpose in our lives, doesn't it? It's to correct us. It's to you know encourage us, admonish us. Uh, you know, it's it's good for instruction and, and teaching. And we're like, why don't we just take a look at this crazy idea for us? right? this is like high level thinking for all nations church. right? why don't we just take a look at scripture it, it, with the Christmas story and just treat it as if it's scripture? I know, right? Like, Boom, for sure. It's like, yeah, let's do that. So that's what we've been doing. And, and what's so cool about it is the, the, the Christmas story has a lot more to say than just the kind of feel-good little baby Jesus stuff. For us so far. It's been amazing. And and we're excited now about Advent. We're excited about Christmas as we've just been studying the word and and letting the Holy Spirit speak to us in our lives based on that. So so that's our confession to you all. Okay, I bring bring that news that we don't like Christmas, but we're falling in love with Christmas as we we study study it as scripture. And, And I just want to ask your permission. Can I just kind of bring that same spirit here today? And let's just study scripture, the Christmas story, and see what it says for our lives. Does that sound good? I I have a sneaky suspicion you guys were already doing that. But uh, I'll just kind of crank along and and go along with it. How about that? Yeah? Good. So uh, we're going to be in Matthew 1, uh, verses 18 through 25. We're going to study about Joseph, uh, not the, you know, technicolor Joseph, crazy coat Joseph. We're talking about the father of Jesus Joseph today the The uh, lowercase F Father, yeah. Uh, but before we hop in there, you can start turning there in your Bibles, let's pray. Lord, I am just so in love with your word. <laughs> Thank you, God, that that there's just really no place of this book here that doesn't speak to us, that that doesn't have meaning, that doesn't somehow change everything for us. And Lord, my my prayer today is that our hearts would would just come alive with your scripture. And Lord, I think you have, have some good news for us. And I think you have some things to say to us about our, our struggles and, and about the dilemmas in our life and, and the, the kind of unanswered questions, the why gods that we have. So Lord, my, my prayer is that you would answer us and you'd answer us with the good news of your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So I forgot how low the podiums are here. They built me a podium at all. It's just like this tall. It's amazing. It, I feel like a normal sized human being. It's so it's so great. But when we have guest preachers, it's it's really awkward. It's they're like trying to preach like this, like look at Look for their Bible. Right. Um, but yeah. So forgive me if I'm kind of hunched over and trying to read this, you know, my eyes aren't that good anymore. <clears throat> so Matthew one, 18 through 25. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. All right. So it's kind of interesting, you know, Joseph, this prominent figure, you know, actually raised Jesus as his own child. We know this. He was a carpenter, raised Jesus to be a carpenter. And and really, this is kind of like the only blurb we get about him. And and he he probably passed away before Jesus's like public ministry. So at the time when, when Jesus had been crucified, and you know he's doing that whole thing like, hey John, this is your mother Mary. This is your son. You know there, there was so, some uh, you know some widow kind of rules and laws and things going on in that transaction. So Joseph was probably already out of the picture, and yet he played such an amazing prominent part in the, the birth of Jesus, the care of of Jesus's early years. Um, and this is kind of like our little bit of scripture that we get to read and, and, and uh, learn about him. But I think that, that his life in general and kind of this pot- potential huge like, like meeting with, with God and this angel um, really has a lot to speak into our day today. Amen. And, and so we can learn a lot from it. And, and really what we're presented with in this little bit of scripture that we get to know jo- Joseph is, is a dilemma, aren't we? So he's he's engaged to be married to to Mary. Now engagement back then wasn't like today, right? People get engaged and then like three weeks later, you look on their Facebook status, right, and they're like. You know, it's probably like, you know, I don't know, complicated, and then three weeks later, it's like, you know, in an open relationship, and then three weeks later, single, you know, crazy stuff. It wasn't like that back then. Back then, to get engaged, to be betrothed meant that you actually, it was was a legal thing that took place where you would call each other husband and wife, you were legally bound, if you wanted to leave, you had to get an actual, you know, legal divorce, And the only thing, though, is you didn't consummate the marriage until you actually had the ceremony and it was official. Because at this point, the wife is staying with her father in their home. And what you did as a husband or what Joseph would have been doing during this time is really getting getting his home ready. Right. He'd be building the home for their family. He would be getting all the furniture and everything ready to go so that when they did get married, they could they could move Mary in and start having kids right away. That was kind of the culture and what they did. So this is that season, the, the season when Joseph's preparing, they're already engaged, they're kind of legally bound in this way. Mary's staying with her father, um, and, and then we, we learn about her kind of visit with Elizabeth and all this transaction. She stays with them for a few months during this time, but Joseph's getting the home ready, and then the bombshell. Mary comes, hey, surprise, I'm pregnant, <laughs> right? Well, well, there's a problem here. The problem is, is, is uh, Joseph was a just man. Joseph was a God-fearing man, and Joseph had not consummated the marriage with Mary. And so in, in the natural world, we look at that and we say, I think I know what's going on, right? I, th- I think I know what's happening here. So this, there, this presents some pretty significant problems for Joseph in his life and in his plan and what he thought life would be, a, a real dilemma, the, the first is that obviously the child isn't his. And so what is he going to do about that? It's, it's some other man's? And, and Mary, you know, I, I thought Mary was such a, a righteous person. I, I thought she was the right person for me. There, there must have been kind of a feeling of betrayal, a, feel, a feeling of sadness, a loss, a mourning taking place here. The, the second issue really being that he's already engaged. This has already become a legal thing. This can't just be like, well... I'm out. I'm just going to quit answering my phone, right? I'm not going to text you good morning tomorrow. You'll know what that means. So something has to be done legally or publicly if he wants to leave, right? Uh, this wasn't just some kind of like easy thing to wiggle out of at this point. And, and finally, it presents this problem that he has some really difficult choices to make. He can stay with Mary, That's one option. Now, if if he were to stay with Mary, he'd have to ignore the affair that he's assuming took place at this point. Right? So there'd have to be some level of reconciliation there in that way. Um, And there'd have to be some kind of public acknowledgement of this. They had not yet become officially married and yet here she is with child so what is everyone going to assume at this point right and and joseph's a god-fearing man and joseph has a great reputation in, in the 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 square and in, in the public eye and here he is and his his betrothed is pregnant and they haven't even consummated the marriage and they're not supposed to have yet what would everyone else think right and so according to the law and such there'd be some shaming there'd be some some loss of relationship that would take place here and it would kind of be him and Mary versus the world at this point. Um, th- that's if he didn't want to acknowledge with, to the public that it was an affair, right? If he were to acknowledge to the public that it, that's something that he, she had been with somebody else, some other man, then there's all the, the, le- the law and, and the issues and the pressure in the Jewish faith on her at this point and the shaming that would take place for her. And he, he loved her. We see that. We read that. He didn't want that. So staying was a really, really hard option. Do you see the catch 22? If you were to stay, you either acknowledge the affair and it shames Mary, or you pretend it's yours and it shames you. What do you do with that? Besides the fact that there's still the hurt and all that going on between you and her that you'd have to navigate through. The other option is he can leave Mary. Well, he would have to have a divorce in, in order to do that, a public divorce, uh, an actual legal document, decree of divorce, right? And so even in there, there's some options. He could, he could do it in a very public manner that would shame Mary, that would make her an outcast, that, that people would judge her, people would, would be against her in it. He would look like the all-star, in that situation, right? He's like, I just, I'm a God-fearing man, and I wasn't going to be with such a sinner, right? And, and they, that culture loved that stuff, right? Don't go near the unclean person. Don't go near the person who can't keep it together. And so he could look like an all-star and, and do it kind of like that and publicly shame Mary, or he could privately divorce her, which is what we see in the story he's deciding to do. And, and he wants to do it in a real quiet way, right? He wants to do it where... Mary isn't gonna to have to suffer more than she has to in the situation. Why does he do that? Well, he was a just man, we see and we read. He was, a just, he, he, he was a man who loved God. He was a man who ultimately loved Mary. And though his heart must have been just broken, I, I just can't imagine the, the betrayal, the hurt that he felt. Even in that moment, he's saying, you know, I, I don't, I don't wanna make her life harder than it has to be. So he decides as he's pondering this that what he's going to do is he's just going to leave her very quietly, divorce her so that she doesn't have to suffer anymore and he's going to go about trying to pick up the pieces and put his life back together. Now, those were his options. By the way, do you ever find yourself in a situation where where none of the options really seem to be good? You ever find yourself in a dilemma like that in your life? You're, you're darned if you do, you're darned if you don't, right? Can I say darn? Is that all right? Is that okay, Pastor? That's okay. All right, good. But, but sometimes when we find ourselves in those situations where you just can't win, the lose lose. sometimes God has another way. Amen. And that's exactly what happens here. God so, so those are kind of kind of Joseph's options in the culture and the time that he found, but God had another option. And so this angel appears. Now, if you want to get somebody's attention, an angel's a really good way to do that. God God cared about Joseph's heart. I want you, it's very important that we catch that right here. Don't skim over this, okay? This wasn't just about God saying, well, I got to be really careful and, and I need to have somebody, you know, pay for my son's meals. God cared about Joseph and Joseph is pondering this, giving space for God here in this kind of really dark situation of his life. And so what does God do? He gets his attention and God is really good at getting our attention, isn't he? And so what does he do? Bam, an angel appears. He says, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because that child that, that, that has seemed so problematic is actually of the Holy Spirit. Mary's been faithful to you, and Mary's been faithful to God. And actually what's happening is, is this, this prophecy that you know well, Joseph, that, that a child's going to be born, that's going to come and, and save Israel and be the consolation of Israel. This child is actually in, in Mary, and, and this is what's happening is that Prophecies being fulfilled in your midst. So don't be afraid to do that. Take her as your wife. And so that's what Joseph does. Amen. Now, I gotta say, as I've been reading these stories, I've been trying to think, man, what would this, what would it be like if this happened today? <laughs> What would, what would happen if somebody claimed to be pregnant of the Holy Spirit, right? Like, dude, come on. Are you serious? Like, let's go, let's go on Jerry with this one, because this is, there, there's no way, right? And, and so I've been thinking about just how crazy this story is. Like, like Mary gets visited by an angel, right? And, and the angel says, here's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. You're going to be, you're going to be, you know, pregnant with a child. And she's like, that can't be. I haven't known a man, and, and he says, that's okay, the Holy Spirit is going to be the one. <laughs> I, think, I think most people in today's culture would be like, okay, and they'd kind of walk away and they'd think, I ate something really weird for lunch today. Uh, that couldn't possibly have been God. But I want you to pay attention to the faith that they had. Right now, seeing an angel, that's some pretty radical, crazy stuff. But I wonder how many supernatural things God does to get our attention. And we're just not really able to believe it. And, and we just kind of have to justify it away as being something so natural. And, well, there's got to be another, rather, you know, it's probably Heartburn. You know, I felt like God said I was supposed to go to this particular store and I was, gonna, I was gonna see somebody there. It was just weird stuff and the vision. I had this crazy dream and I don't know, man. I'm just gonna take my regular way to work and I don't think so. The point being is, I, I think we, we are in a culture that so undervalues the supernatural qualities of God's relationship with us. When God wants to get somebody's attention, he does some supernatural things. Do you see it? So here's Joseph, completely heartbroken, completely wrecked, like at the end of of himself, like this, because like the worst case scenario here. uh, We had it all together, we had this planned, everything's going well, and God breaks through. And what if he had just said, Yeah, I think I was just dreaming. I think I must have fallen asleep? Nothing would have changed the trajectory of his life would have just continued. And I fear, brothers and sisters, that we do that kind of thing so often, that we, that we just kind of explain it away, we just kind of shrug the stuff off. I actually believe that God is so big that he is speaking to each of us individually, personally, the way that we can receive, because his word says his sheep shall know his voice, every single day every single day. Why? Because he loves us. Because he is head over heels for us. Why did he do this with Joseph? I'm telling you, it's not because he was stressed out about how Joe or how Jesus was going to be provided for. Jesus, the one who would someday feed 5,000 with just a few loaves of bread. I don't think God was up there wringing his hands saying, Now, what are we going to do with my son? How is he going to be? I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. When he knows very well he could turn loaves of, or, or he could turn rocks into loaves of bread and manna can come from heaven and he can feed and he can take care and he can provide however he wants to. He did this because he loves Joseph and he didn't want Joseph's life to be completely wrecked. He wanted to put Joseph back together. Amen. So, what did Joseph do (laughs) to get into this mess? I mean, what do you got to do to walk into such a crazy situation, such a lose-lose scenario? Well, verse 19 gives us the clue. Because Joseph was faithful to the law. There it is. What did, you, did Joseph do to get into this mess? Well, he was a faith-filled, faithful man. That's what he did. Because if he wasn't faithful, he wouldn't have been in a scenario like this anyway, would he, wouldn't he have been? I mean, think about that. He wouldn't have been you know, going and building the home and waiting for Mary, and, and he'd have just been going around and, and, and just seeking pleasure for the day, right? Right? But here was a man who was faithful to God. And because he was faithful to God, lucky you, Joseph, you get to have this dilemma. You get to have this issue. And, and really, the, this, this tells us a couple of things, doesn't it? Joseph was a great believer in God and, and therefore had this calamity. So Joseph was told by the angel to name this child Jesus, which means God is salvation, now, you know, it's kind of cool. Like, Joseph, you get to name my son, but here's what I want you to name him. <laughs> it's your job as the father to name the child. I'm going to let you do that. Uh, but here's, let, me, let me show you the spelling, right? It's J E, right? God fully in control here. And, and Joseph, a faithful man, does name him Jesus. God is salvation. That's what his, his name means. And, and, and it tells me a couple of things about this scenario. First is that God seems to care more about our eternal salvation than our temporary comfort. God's more concerned about our eternity than our right this second. Which is really hard for us because we kind of tend to focus on the right this second, don't we? We really like the the ability to feel good right now. That's why credit cards exist in America. Amen. I want that. Okay, save up. No. I want that now. Right? Okay. I'll put it on my credit card. Here we go. You know, just, just swipe, 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 swipe. That's what we do. I hope you all aren't doing that for Christmas, by the way. But God cares more about the long haul. God cares more about eternity. And so, in this situation, this storm that's happening, God cares more about the salvation of his people than Joseph's temporary comfort and well being in this particular situation. Do you see that? Do you agree with me on that? And the second thing that this tells me is that salvation itself is quite messy. The Christmas story is messy. Isn't it? It's not so polished. It's it's not so neat. It's not so shiny as we like to make it. It's not really this clean baby in a manger. It's gritty. It cost people things. It was challenging. It was tough. Those early years were hard, and they didn't get much easier. So God cares more about our salvation and our eternity than our temporary, and salvation itself is messy. Have you experienced this in your own life? Has your salvation been super easy? Boy, I was under that illusion, 17 years old. Hey, you get to, you get to accept Jesus. Great, let's clean stuff up, man. Let's make life easy. I'm all about it. I'm kind of tired of struggles and, and, and issues and dilemmas in my life. Let's Yeah, Jesus, come on, fix everything. Let's go. Boom! It all just imploded, right? Did that happen to you? Did life really get that easy when she started following Jesus? And we really shouldn't be, you know, kind of, kind of uh, surprised by this. Jesus told us this that things were going to be tough, and, and that there's this storm. That if you're a person who is faith-filled and faithful to God, and God cares a whole bunch more about salvation than our comfort and our temporary well-being, that's a storm. And that's a storm that we're all going to face, right? And he told us this, even in John 16, 13, 33, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. So you go and you look at the Greek, right? Like, well, maybe that's, it, it really means like, you're going to have trouble in this world. <laughs> it's like a promise. It's like, it's like emphatic, like this is going to happen. I, I'm just being very, you know, frank with you, brothers and sisters, you know, my children, here's what's going to happen. You will have troubles in this world that's going to happen to you. But he says this, he says, but I tell you this so that that you can take heart. You know there's going to be trouble. You know it's a perfect storm. You know my relentless pursuit of sinners, my relentless love and pursuit of broken people who need truth, their salvation matters more than your temporary comfort. He was telling this to people who would be Burned, Who would be killed? Who would be hung upside down on a cross? And and every time that would happen, the gospel would explode. What What happens when you want to martyr Christians? Boom, churches explode, right? It's got to be the most frustrating thing for our adversary. The one thing he thinks he can do to stop it, and it just takes off. And and that principle is true even if we're not blessed with the gift of martyrdom. The reality is there's going to be trouble. And out of those troubles comes God's purpose and God's salvation. That's what scripture tells us. And he didn't hide it. He said, you're going to have troubles in this world. You want to be a righteous person? You want to be a just man like Joseph or a just woman like Mary? You're going to have troubles. It's a perfect storm brewing. It's going to happen. So what do we do? Say, well, I don't want to have any troubles, so I'm going to quit being righteous. That might work out for right now. But then that eternity thing is looming, right? There's a reason why God cares more about our eternity than our temporary And it's because it's so much better for us in eternity. I mean, I want you to consider eternity with me for a minute. Have you ever just stopped and thought about that, like forever, what that means? The implications of that? Like like a billion years from now, guys, we're gonna be worshiping God together. A thousand years from now, we're gonna be in the same room together still. Worshiping God, loving life, fully alive like we've never been. There's going to be no more wheelchairs. There's going to be no more, you know, back braces. There's going to be no more casts. There's going to be no more, you know, chemo tubes in you. We're all just going to be there. And God's looking at that, and he's saying, that's my will. That's my will. And God's looking at now, and he's saying, this is a mess. But I'm going to do whatever it takes to get us there. Let me put it another way for you. If life right now isn't okay, I'm not telling you to just get over it. If life right now isn't okay, what I'm saying is just take a step back until you can see in the realm of eternity that it's going to be okay. Can you do that? We're going to talk a little bit more about that here in just a second. But I got the sense, you know, as I was prepping, there's some people in here who would say, if I were to ask you to raise your hand, which I'm not doing, but if I were to ask you to raise your hand and say, is life not okay for you right now? There's a lot of people whose hands would fly up pretty quick. Where's God in that? Does he care? And why is this happening? It might not be because you're a terrible person. It might be because you're faithful. It might be because God cares more about salvation in eternity, because he has this vision of a thousand years from now. And it's such a good vision, and he's taking you there. So what do we do when we find ourselves facing these kind of calamities? You don't give up on God, you don't give up on your faith. That's what you don't do. What you do, however, is is exactly some of the things Joseph did. First of all, notice that Joseph pondered the situation. Did you guys read that? Joseph was pondering this. Joseph didn't get wind and fly off his handle and start making decisions. When you get that diagnosis, when you learn that bad news, when, when life seems to be crashing down around you, that's not the time to make life-changing decisions, brothers and sisters. First of all, stop and ponder and give space and give room and listen. Amen? That's what he does. He just ponders it. He just thinks on it first. He doesn't just make a rash decision. And and, and next thing we see um, is that he's listening to God's voice. Why do we see that? Because when the angel appeared, he didn't say, I must be having a weird dream. There was space, there was room for God to enter in and break in. Now, what's so interesting to me is that we don't see Joseph on his face in the temple fasting and praying. We just see him giving some space. It's it's almost as if God, all he really needs is just a little crack in the door. It's it's almost like God just needs a a little kind of invitation. Like, just give me a little room. Give me a little space. I'm God. I can do some pretty crazy stuff. Just give me a little bit of space. Let me in, and I can do it. Yeah? Yeah? Because we think like, well, if we want to experience something like this, like seeing an angel, like we better be on our face. We better be here till like three in the afternoon and the janitor's got to kick us out of SCC, right? And then next week we better sign up for every possible thing that we can do to serve. It's all about sacrifice. And that's not what we see here. It's not about sacrifice. It's about Jesus and God loving Joseph so much that he wants to break in. He just needed a little space. And I'm so afraid in our culture we don't give God enough space to break through, Amen. James 1.5, we all know this verse. If any of you lack wisdom, ask God, and he's going to give it to you. And, and he's not going to hold, he's not going to treat you like some child, right? He's not going to begrudge you for it. He's going to give it freely to you. Have you ever stepped back? Now, we, we love that verse, right? right? We're like, okay. I need a new job. God, I need wisdom, and that's good. I think that's great. We should ask God for wisdom in these things, you know, like, God, what Powerball numbers should I pick for Saturday night? Okay, maybe don't do that. That's not what that verse means, but we ask God for wisdom in our life and, and discernment in specific situations. That's good, but have you ever stepped back and looked at the context in which the, the author of James is speaking here in James 1.5? It's trials. It's suffering. Take heart if you're suffering for, for a little while, for all these trials that you're facing. Because Jesus said, He promised you, you're going to face trials in this world. And James, or the author of James, is now saying, Seek God for wisdom in that. Why would you seek God for wisdom in that? What good is suffering if, if, if it's useless and without meaning? Am I right? What good is suffering? I mean, I I think to some degree we all can find peace with suffering if it provides some kind of value or change or or something good comes out of it, right? So in the context, James is saying, listen, ask God wisdom when you're suffering and he's going to give it to you. And believe that there's purpose behind it. And, and, and listen, don't be like one of those people who don't have faith, who are just kind of tossed back and forth. In other words, if you're suffering, don't be like, "Oh, I'm suffering now. God must not really, you know, care about me. God must not really. God doesn't really love me." He's saying, don't be like that. You're going to be tossed around. He says, instead, believe, have faith, get on solid footing. If you are suffering, God has purpose and plan. And he wants to share it with you. He's not going to keep it a secret forever, amen? And so we see that, that, James, or, or that Joseph gave room for God and then Joseph listened to God. When the angel actually spoke and said, don't be afraid, Joseph listened. He took those words. He had faith. He believed, amen? Fine. And then next we see that Joseph obeyed, didn't he? It'd be one thing to be like, you know, I believe, I believe, okay, that's good, I believe you. Yeah, the babies of the Holy Spirit, cool. I'm still leaving that chick. What faith does that take, right? Well, I, I'm not going to, you know, continue to suffer. I'm not going to continue to be put in that situation. I don't have to be. I'm free, you know. I'm free from this. There's grace. But instead, he heard the word of God, and he believed, and he obeyed, Right? It took a lot of faith to still take Mary as his wife, and that's exactly what he did, right? And then finally, you got to wait to see God's purpose in it all, don't you? I wish it would be so easy as God would say, hey, you're about to suffer, and here's the good that's going to come out of it. And we can seek his wisdom, and he gives us little inklings of it, right? But it's this journey that we're on. Romans 8, 28, a verse that we all know so well, right? Where we learn that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. It all works together. It's all gonna work out in the end, right? So even if there is suffering and even if there is dilemmas in our lives, there's gonna be purpose. It's gonna work together. And how's it gonna work together for the good Of those of us who love God and are called according to his purposes. His purposes. What are his purposes? Salvation. God is salvation. Jesus, God is salvation. It's messy. It's uncomfortable. It's hard. But in the end, there's a purpose. In the end, God's going to use it. In the end, God's going to use it for that vision a thousand years from now because there's some people that need to be there that aren't ready for there yet. There's some parts of us that aren't ready for there yet. Do you see that? There's there's some parts of me that need some work and some tweaking so that I can be ready for that moment of eternity, a thousand, a million, a billion years from now. And God loves us so much that he's getting us ready for that. Amen? So my family is in quite a dilemma. <laughs> a lot of you know this, some of you don't, and, and that's fine. But, but my wife has been ill for years now, really. I mean, we thought, here's, here's what's so crazy. In our ministry, we've seen so many people just get radically healed and set free. So when, when Morgan started feeling sick, we were just kind of like, oh, well this will be a cool little healing story. That I get to share. Right? I like those stories. I, I like to share them from the pulpit. Some of you have heard my stories from the pulpit about God's radical healing. And boy, let me just tell you, God does that stuff. Amen. Amen. God does this stuff today. Like in this room, He's—I've seen Him do that stuff in this room. Okay, He's going to continue to do that stuff in this room. But that's not what happened with Morgan, at all. In, in fact, if anything, it just kind of was getting worse and worse and worse. To the point where there there started to grow this and bubble this fear inside of me that may, maybe I'm gonna lose my wife. And she's so young and, and we have this little daughter, you know, Morgan, or Ella was like five years old when, when Morgan first started getting sick. We've had times where she's I mean, she's bedridden, she can't she can't really get up, she can't really do anything. And it's so tempting in that, because here I am, I'm doing ministry. I think I'm being faithful to the Lord. It's so tempting to either say, God, have I done something wrong? Have we done something wrong? And that's what, or, or it's also tempting to go, God, what's wrong with you? And in the midst of all this, you have the accuser. What is he doing? He's accusing you, and then he's accusing God to you. And all this is going on in our lives. So God, what is the deal? What's happening here? Suffering, and I think I'm doing good. So fast forward, we're a few years into this thing now, right? And uh, and I, by the way, I love when you guys ask me, you know, how's your wife? I feel terrible because the answer is the same. I'm like, well, the same, you know. I believe God's going to heal her. I really do. We believe that. We know that's coming. We wait and anticipate, right? We, there's, there's an advent in our life as we're waiting for Christ to do that. But in this time, God has done some pretty remarkable things, particularly in me. And he's done some really cool things in, in Morgan and in Ella. But, but in me, God revealed that there was such a deep, deep-seated selfishness where I, I just, I, I would never say it, I would would never claim this or or think it even out loud, but somewhere inside of me, I thought that this, this thing called marriage and family was to serve me. That's just true. I'm just being honest with you. And so when it came to the point where I had to literally do everything in my house, I thought, wait a second, this isn't what I signed up for. And I started getting a little indignant and I started getting a little mean and a little nasty in my own home. And it, it created quite, a, quite an issue, really. And God broke something in me. I mean, it was, it, it was just like a water balloon, just Just one day, it just, it just broke. And all these verses, right, about, you know, if, if you wanna be first, you must be last, and if you, you know, you have to serve everybody, and, and all these, and love, and all these things are just flooding to me, and I'm like, oh, Lord. I'm doing ministry, and I'm not even loving people well. I'm not even loving the people that I'm I'm preaching to. In fact, I've created this thing that's all about me. And it's not very pleasant to be face-to-face face with that in the mirror, amen? Again, salvation is messy, isn't it? Like Jesus, I thought we were past this. I got saved twenty-something years ago. It's like, oh, you're still getting saved. Are you still getting saved? (laughs) No, those are some quick answers. I want you to really think about that. Are you still getting saved? If you're facing struggles and trials, I have some really good news for you. You're still being saved. And God disciplines those who he loves. God disciplines those children who are legitimate. That means he calls you son. That means he calls you daughter. And so in this deep moment in my life where I'm just faced with all this selfishness and all this reality of of just brokenness inside of me that has just been happening for years and years and years, there's behind all of that, this huge whisper, son, I love you. If you're facing trials, I want you to hear that whisper tonight. Son, my daughter, my precious one, I love you. I'll send you an angel if that's what it takes. I'll break through. I'll do whatever has to be done. What is Advent if it isn't waiting for God to do something, amen. So what are you waiting for today? What are those situations that you find yourself in where there's a waiting taking place for a deliverance, for something new? Can I encourage you not to just stuff that down this Advent season and get busy with parties and presents and Christmas trees? But can I encourage you to present it to the Lord, to ponder on it, to actually face the trials in your life this season. And I know for some of us, it's bleak. For some of us, we don't see a good option or a good way out, do we? God always has another way. So let's present it to him and let's let him move again. Just a little crack, just open the door. It's amazing what God can do. And that's what I want to invite you to right now. We're getting ready to church to, to anoint with oil right up here. We're going to have the prayer team come forward. Actually, prayer team, you can do that now. And, and what we're going to do is we just, we just want to pray for you. We just want to anoint you. And, and oil just being the sign of what God wants to do in your life. It, it's not some magical juice, right? But the Holy Spirit is alive and active in this room. And for some of you, I'm telling you right now, I have a word from the Lord. Some of you are gonna be healed radically right now, physically, emotionally, spiritually. For others, God's gonna speak a word of wisdom to you in the waiting, a word of purpose, a word of meaning. But whatever it is that you're waiting for, whatever deliverance you need, this is not the season to run from it. This is the season to run to the Father, amen. amen. So prayer team, come forward. This is your time, church. Don't miss what God wants you to do. Jesus, or Joseph gave a little space for God and look what God did. Would you be so bold as to give a, a, some space this morning, come forward and be prayed for. I love you. What an honor it is to be here with you guys again.